Really glad you're here. And for the record, I had nothing to do with the Instagram. <laughs> Seriously, really glad that you're here um, tonight. And as always, I want to say wherever you find yourself spiritually, uh, you are welcome here. Whoa, that's not good. Perfect. All right. Wherever you find yourself spiritually, uh, you're welcome here, whether you're convinced to Christianity and you've never been better, or whether maybe you're not so sure and you're trying to figure out what you believe about Jesus and the Bible. We want this to be a safe place for you to explore the truth claims of Christianity. Uh, also, I want to make a note about the hymn, uh, Abide With Me. We've experienced some grief in our community uh, this week. And I love that hymn. I don't know, sometimes hearing the background of the hymn actually helps us. Uh, and I would encourage you to read back through it. But the guy that wrote the hymn, his name was Henry Light. And he actually penned this hymn on his deathbed. He was about to die. And he was grieving, if you read the words, but it's, you see he was also grieving with hope. That death did not have the final word. And so I encourage you as you read back, maybe read back through that hymn at some point uh, later on, and maybe you can read it in a new way, uh, knowing the story. Uh, but the guy was experiencing grief uh, and was about to pass himself. If you have your Bible, uh, turn to Genesis 3, and it's not on the sheet, but we're also, as Catherine pointed out, we're going to be looking at verse 21 as well, and so maybe you can get the context uh, as well. But we've been doing a series this semester on relationships, and just to give you a quick review, week one we talked about the fact that as human beings, we are relational people. Relationships go right to the center of who we are, because you as a human being, out of all the things in the world and all the things that God created, he created people, human beings, in his image. And God, at the very core of who he is, is community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so because we're created in his image, we also are relational beings. Relationships, we're hardwired for them. They're part of our very DNA, so to speak. That being the case, you might be wondering, we talked about this last week, well then why in the world, if that's true, are relationships so complicated? Uh, why are they often very frustrating? And we said last week from Genesis chapter th uh, 3, uh, that is known as the fall of man into sin. And that is a big deal and a big event. And it actually, even though it's kind of hard to talk about, it actually helps us make sense of our relationships. And last week we talked about the fact that sin, and because of that event in Genesis 3, our relationships are often filled with lots of insecurity and lots of selfishness. But Genesis chapter 3, we could actually spend a long time uh, looking at the effects of that chapter on our relationship. And so I decided this week we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3 again and look at something else that deeply affects all of our relationships. Before we dig into the passage, let me pray and ask uh, God to help us through His Spirit. Father, uh, It's been a tough week. Many of us um, have experienced grief maybe for the first time. 
Uh, and we need you. We're confused, we're frustrated, we're angry, we're sad, a mix of lots of emotions. Lord, convince us tonight that you are a God that doesn't stand afar from suffering, but that you actually entered into it. And you actually weep with us. And you're actually more brokenhearted over the events of this week than we are. That you care deeply. Uh, Lord, remind us of that, but also give us great hope uh, that death uh, does not have the final word. Father, tonight as we look at this passage, I ask that you would come and expose us in a good way. That you would show us uh, how shame actually affects our relationships and short circuits them. Uh, help us to identify where we experience shame so that we can have deep and intimate and uh, lasting relationships with other people. And Lord, more than anything, I want you to show us Jesus. I want you to convince us that he's good and that he really does change us. So move us. Um, with the good news of the gospel tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I remember this story I'm about to tell you very vividly. Uh, I was 10 years old. I was playing Little League Baseball. And I played for the Phillies. This particular night, we were playing the A's, the Athletics. And I was a pitcher and a first baseman. We were up four to nothing, and there were seven innings, so it's the fifth inning. Our pitcher starts to uh, struggle a little bit, and I'm at first, and the coach calls me in and says, we need you to come in and be the relief pitcher for these last two innings. So I go, and the first inning that I'm pitching, I do okay. I had two strikeouts, and then they hit a ground ball or whatever, and we threw the guy out and went into the dugout. Didn't score any runs, our team, my team, that inning. So we go out for the last inning. This team's last at bat. And I completely fall apart. I start walking runners. They start hitting the ball, hitting doubles, hitting triples, one runs, two runs, three runs, four runs, five runs, game over. We lost. I don't think I crawled back to the dugout, but I felt like it. And one word really summarized how I felt on that particular night as I walked off the field as a 10-year-old. Shame. Not that I'd made a mistake, but that I was a mistake. That I was horrible. And, you know, I can talk about it, and it you know, even laugh about it, but on that night, it was a big deal. I remember it was, I was so not in a good place. My coach actually called my parents that night to see if I were, was okay. Shame is the thing in your life that mutes encouragement, but amplifies criticism and sends it through the roof. Shame is the thing in your life that though you get 10 compliments in a day, the one criticism that you get, it's like a cut and knife going straight to your heart. It completely undoes you. Shame is the thing 
that keeps guys from asking girls out. Shame is the thing and the reason why you find it so hard to really believe that God is good and that he really loves you. Scientists and researchers have said that shame is epidemic in our culture. That it infects every single relationship that we're in and actually has the power to short-circuit our relationships and to cause a disconnect. Friends, shame is a really, really, really big deal. And so tonight I thought we would take a whole night and we would look at the topic of shame. Because most of us, you might have noticed the the title, Shame, Boatloads of Shame. That probably sounds familiar to you because that comes from the Averitt Brothers song. And after that it says, day after day, more of the same. Blame, please lift it off. Please take it off. Please make it stop. And all of us in some way can relate to that as we think about the shame in our own life. And so tonight we're going to look at two points. What is shame? And what is the solution? Let's look at number one. What is shame? And listen, you know, as we think about what is shame, I feel like I'm getting a little feedback. I don't know if there's anything we can do. Did I sound okay? As long as I sound good to you. We good? Okay. Don't want it to be distracting. This is hard to talk about, okay? Shame, we don't talk about shame often. And so it's a really hard topic to talk about, but I think it's really important that we identify what is shame because it's only as you identify the places in your life where you actually experience shame, then and only then will you be able to move forward and actually experience growth in grace and have Jesus come in and heal you in those areas of your life. So what is shame? And as we explore this idea of shame, the first thing we need to understand is the distinction between shame and guilt. Guilt is I feel bad because of something that I did. Shame, on the other hand, is I feel bad because of something that I am. Shame. I am a mistake. Guilt. I made a mistake. You see, shame is that feeling of I don't belong here. Shame is that feeling of I don't fit in here. I'm different. I don't measure up. Other people are acceptable. I am not. Other people succeed. I'm a total failure. Other people have friends. I don't. Have you ever felt that? That is shame talking to you. And it happens, and I'll be honest with you, I've been really wrestling and thinking a lot about my own shame in the last year, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about it. But I have more shame than I even knew. And so much of, of my life is driven by this idea of shame rather than being driven by Jesus and the gospel. Have you felt those things in your life? You see, we live in a culture, you live in a culture that is totally obsessed with being thin. Totally obsessed 
with having the perfect body type, the right body type, and the right body image. And so if you're carrying any extra weight at all, like me, you feel shame. Or maybe you grew up with a learning disability. You have felt shame. Or maybe you grew up with a family that had financial struggles or your father lost his job growing up and so you had financial difficulties but everyone around you was affluent and everyone around you had more than enough. You have felt shame. And oftentimes what we do, if we're honest, I think most of the time people come and the reason why you work so hard at academics, which you should, but overwork in academics and stay up to all hours of the night. And the reason why many people are over-involved and over-committed on campus is because they are trying to convince themselves and other people and their parents that they're really okay. And you see, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to have this thing called recruitment. And some of you are going to be so terrified and the reason why you're going to be terrified is because you're going to be putting yourself out there for groups and asking them to tell you if you're okay. And asking them to tell you, do I belong here? And you see, the reason why it's so utterly devastating when they don't tell you that is because when you get that verdict, you feel shame. Look at verses 7 and 10. The Bible has a picture and a word that it uses for shame. And the Bible's word for shame is nakedness. You feel exposed. You feel vulnerable. That's why in verse 10, notice Adam makes the connection between being naked and fear. Because you see, there is this deep fear in Adam at this moment because of sin and because of the fall of being found out. Adam is scared out of his mind of actually being seen. You know what this is like, don't you? You ever scared of being found out? I know I am. And here's the way it normally plays itself out. And maybe it came... Uh, maybe it plays playing itself out right now as you came to something like RUF, and maybe it's not RUF, but something else. But somewhere deep down in your soul and in your heart or in the back of your mind, there's this question that often comes and tries to rear its ugly head. And it goes something like this. What if someone finds out? What if somebody finds out what I'm really doing with the person I'm dating? What if someone really finds out what happened to me when I was younger? What if someone finds out about my family and how it's a total train wreck? What if someone finds out about my porn addiction? What if someone finds out what I do when I'm all alone and there's no one around? What if someone finds out that to actually go out and not be socially awkward, I've got to take two shots of liquor to even feel like I can hang with people? What if someone finds out? 
That's fear. Fear of being known all the way to the bottom and being exposed. And when those questions come in and they come roaring into our hearts, we often handle that fear the same way Adam and Eve handled that fear. Look at what they do. They cover themselves up. And that's what we do when we're we're fearful of being exposed. We construct our own fig leaves and and we hide behind them. Think about what we do, the fig leaves that we construct in our own lives. Here are a few. One of them might be busyness. We think if I can just stay busy, or at least project the image that I'm busy, and no, no one will ever slow down, I won't slow down, and so no one will ever really get to know me. Or maybe we can actually do it spiritually and create this kind of spiritual fig leaf in a sense that covers us up and so we go to church and we go to things like RUF, those are great things and we lead Bible studies and we say all the right things because we think if I can just say the right thing and do the right thing then everyone will assume I'm okay and they won't ask me the hard questions and you see all of that is is spiritual decoration that we put on in order to divert people's attention away from us. You see, we hide and we cover up our own brokenness and our own shame. We even do it with our personalities. You come to school, you come to college, and maybe you don't know anyone and no one knows who you were in high school or maybe you didn't like who you were in high school and so you come to a place like Ole Miss and you have a clean slate, you're ready to start over And in a sense, you have this ability and a chance to recreate yourself and craft yourself into the image and project the image that you want to project to the campus and to other people. And that, too, is a form of hiding our real selves. And so we do it in all sorts of ways. We come to college and we say, I'm going to be the funny guy. I'm going to be the person that's always confident no matter what. Or I'm going to be the one that's really devoted spiritually. Or I'm going to be the person that can drink everybody else under the table. That's who I'm going to be and that's the image I'm going to project. Or I'm going to be the person that no matter what, I'm happy and I'm joyful. Here's my question for all of us. And this is important. Where are you hiding tonight? What is the thing that you're hiding behind so that no one will see the real you? Friends, I hope you see that this has everything to do with relationships. I hope that's obvious because think about it. Relationships are what? They are built on being seen and being known. And if you're ever going to have real, life-giving, deep, intimate relationships, and that's what we all want, we all want to be known all the way to the bottom and loved for who we really are. And if that's ever going to happen, we've got to really be seen and really be known. But shame comes and it actually blocks that connection and keeps that from happening. Because shame causes us to cover up. Second point. What's the solution? 
I'm sure most of you are familiar with TED Talks. Everybody heard of the TED Talks on YouTube? Okay, if not, they're these 20 minute, uh, basically, presentations by someone that's a professional and who's at the top of their field. And most of the time, these TED Talks have, most of the time, they have to do with technology and science innovative type stuff, but there's one TED Talk, and I find this so fascinating. You know, the most downloaded or watched or most popular TED Talk is by a lady by the name of Brene Brown. She's known as the shame lady. You should totally go look this up and watch it. It's the best 20 minutes you'll watch tonight. But the title of the TED Talk is The Power of Vulnerability. And so she goes and she's researching, she's a scientist and she's researching all of these people and hearing their stories and what she discovers in the people that she's studying is that the most happy, wholehearted, well-grounded, adjusted people are the people that have embraced vulnerability. And this was huge for her. It was a huge problem for her actually because she didn't want, like, just like us, she didn't want to be vulnerable. She didn't want to be exposed. She didn't want to be naked in front of other people. But she learned that those are the healthiest people. And so she started down the road on her own story, ended up in seeing a therapist and working through therapy, ends up experiencing some redemption in this area. And so towards the end of the lecture... She asked this question, which the whole presentation was moving towards. And the question is this. What gives someone the courage to be vulnerable? What gives someone the courage to actually be vulnerable? If that's the key to happiness, how do you get the courage to be seen all the way to the bottom for who you really are? And you know what she said? It's amazing. She says, you have to know that you're worthy. You have to know that you are worthy. Where does that confidence come from? I mean, think about it. If that's what we need to know that we're worthy, but all the evidence around us, particularly the evidence inside our own heart, tells us otherwise, what do we do? In other words... How can we have deep assurance that we're acceptable if everything else around us, and particularly our own heart and mind, tell us that we're unacceptable? Well, the Bible's answer to that question is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible's answer to that question in Genesis 3 answer, answer to that question is come with me and look at Genesis chapter 3 and look at how the God of the Bible treats sinners like me and you. And there we find in the gospel of Jesus Christ the only lasting source of confidence that will tell you that you're worthy. It's the only source of confidence that will tell you that you matter and that you're actually acceptable in God's sight. And so how does God treat sinners like us? Two things in the passage. The first one is God provides a substitute. Look at verse 21. The looming subtext of this passage is this, and if you were here last week, we talked about it. 
God told Adam and Eve, Obey me and you will live. Disobey me, rebel against me, and you will surely die. What did Adam and Eve do? They rebelled against God. They took the place on the throne in their own life. But God did not kill them immediately. But that is what they deserved. Why didn't God kill them immediately? Look at verse 21. It said that God clothed them with the skins of animals. My question is where did those animal skins come from? They came from an animal that God Himself had killed. So instead of destroying people, human beings created in the image of God, God destroys an animal. In other words, God provided a substitute for His people. And as you look at this passage and you think about how in the world can an animal fix the condition of the human heart and our deepest needs and deepest desires, it can't. And that is why this passage and this idea of substitution actually points us forward. Remember, the entire Bible has Jesus at, it, at its center. The Bible is not about me and it's not about you. It's about Jesus. He's the main character. And so this story actually points us forward to a greater substitute, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what's very interesting? In all four Gospel accounts, when they're crucifying Jesus... Each gospel writer makes this real small little detail that seems like a throwaway comment, but it's not. And they mention that the guards actually casted lots for Jesus' garments. Why in the world would the writers tell us that little small detail that doesn't seem like it means anything? What does that tell us? Well, it tells us that Jesus died naked. Jesus died completely exposed. Jesus died completely vulnerable. He was stripped bare and hoisted on a cross for everyone to see. He was shamed and spit upon and mocked and ridiculed and humiliated. And in the end, He was utterly objected by His Father. And the question is, why is the Bible so adamant in making that point that Jesus was stripped and rejected? Because He's your substitute. He went to the cross and He endured its shame. Hebrews tells us, friends, Jesus on the cross bore all the shame that you feel right now in this moment. What shame did you bring into this room tonight? Jesus died for that shame. That's why He was exposed. That's why He was stripped naked and hung on a cross. He was rejected so that you and I might stand before God totally exposed and yet be accepted. He was rejected so that you and I would never be rejected. Secondly, we see in this passage that not only does God provide a substitute, but He also covers us. Look at verse 21 again. This is amazing. So God provides the substitute, but then He also covers them with the substitute. 
He covers them with the animal skins. And I want you to notice something, that now when people look on them, they don't see the shame, but instead they see someone who's literally adorned with God's grace. And it's a small note to make, but notice they did not clothe themselves. They didn't muster up their own covering in their own righteousness. It says very clearly, God provided them with their righteousness and with their covering. And this too is a foreshadowing of that great Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who came to take away the sin of the world and be our substitute, but who also came and lived a perfect life of obedience. That's why Jesus had to be sinless, because He gives you, if you trust in Him, His righteousness, His glory, and His honor, and His perfection. And at the end of time, if those of you that have trusted in Jesus, there will be a day, think about this, when you will be publicly honored. There will be a day when you will be publicly praised by the God of the universe in front of all creation, and God will look at you and say, Well done. My good and faithful servant, you will be publicly affirmed by God with all of creation looking on. No criticism. Only glory. Only honor. Only applause. Absolutely amazing. The gospel of Jesus Christ. I heard this story from another campus minister uh, sent this to me. It was from WN. YC Radio Lab podcast, and it was a story about a congresswoman back in 2001 by the name of Barbara Lee. She was from California, and right after the 9-11 attacks, Congress was meeting, and there was lots of debate, and there was something that went before the Congress, and they had to vote whether or not to give the President of the United States the ability to act with force and, and be the, just, he, he could make the decision and not have to consult Congress, which is unconstitutional because normally that, whether or not we go to war, goes before the Congress. But everyone was pushing for unity on this vote. But Barbara Lee is agonizing over this decision because she wants to show unity, but at the very same time, she has this deep conviction that that's not constitutional. And so she actually decides to go against and to vote against that bill that came before the Congress. The final vote was 420 to 1. In the days following, as you can imagine, she, seen, she received over 60,000 emails threatening her life, calling her horrible things, threatening her family's life, but through all of the email and through all the other voices, she never wavered. She stuck her ground and it didn't get to her. And so finally, the person on this podcast asked her, how did you do it? I mean, how did you stand your ground? You seemed so calm under that pressure. And she says, well... On the day right after the vote, I received a call from my daddy. And he told me how proud he was of me. And that was all I needed to hear. 
Because my daddy's voice trumped all the other thousands and thousands and thousands of voices that came from other people. So how do you have the confidence to be vulnerable the way Brene Brown talked about being vulnerable? How do you have that inner confidence that you are worthy? How do you have the confidence to actually deal with the shame in your life? You've got to listen to your daddy's voice. Listen to God the Father's voice. And when you listen to God the Father's voice and you look at the Bible and see how He treats sinners like me and you, and then you look at Jesus and you see that He actually took your shame. And not only did He take your shame, but He actually clothes you with glory and honor. Friends, He's the one that makes you worthy. He's the one that makes you right. And when you find your identity in Jesus, then you finally have the courage to be vulnerable and be honest about who you really are. And though you, yes, are you going to be rejected by a friend or maybe by a group of people or maybe a Greek house? You might. But listen, you have the approval of the only person in the universe that really counts. And that's God Himself. And so my question tonight is, will you come to Jesus? And will you bring Him your shame? And will you let Him clothe you with honor and glory and righteousness? Friends, I hope you will, because that is our only hope for having deep and intimate and long-lasting relationships in which we can be known and truly loved. Let's pray.